When I was a young guy, um, going to Bible school, I lived here, grew up in Trumbull County, grew up in Howland, and I had to drive to Oklahoma for Bible school. And I had this 1976 Bonneville. It was a boat, and it was a gas guzzler, and that's what I went down to school in. And I went down with just 100 bucks in my pocket. That's all I had. So I had to find a job and get my first paycheck before that $100 ran out. So I looked for a job as soon as I went down and uh, had to work my way through school. And I found it, but by the time I began to work and all the training was over, um, it was going to be three and a half weeks that I had to live off 100 bucks. So uh, that was tough just for gas money and for food. And I'm buying just cans of beans and things like that to eat. And um, I thought I should pray. I mean, I'm a Bible school student, right? I should pray. And I prayed and I said, God, um, I need $200 to come so that I can add it to this 100. And I did it in Jesus' name. And I was so proud of myself. And I said, God, have someone from home have it on their heart and mail it to me. Or someone I run into down here, just hand it to me and say, God told me to do this for you. So that's what I'm expecting. And uh, so after a week or so, nothing's happening. So I thought I'll go to church more and sit in the front row and I would shake everybody's hand and smile. And I'm waiting for a gospel handshake, you know, where some money's in that handshake, you know. And, and nothing's happening. I'd stay in the lobbies, last guy to leave and, and, and nobody's doing anything. I, w I couldn't wait for the mail every day. Nothing's coming in the mail. And so I became first of all, very upset with God's people, the Christians. And, and I just began to complain. These Christians down in Oklahoma and in Ohio, they can't hear God. And, and, and I'm complaining about how nobody's listening to God. I know God's telling people to do it. And then I got closer. And, you know, I have five, six days left. I'm just about under mon uh, out of money. My car's running on fumes. And uh, then I got mad at God. And I really, I just began to, to say, God, why did you forsake me? God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Now I'm upset with God. And thankfully that check came. And, and I'm telling you, I was out of all my money running on fumes when that check came. I couldn't wait to cash it. And then I was okay from that point on. You know, I, I failed miserably during that time in my life. And I made some major mistakes in how I reacted. And today we're going to talk about, you know, when God doesn't show up, when we're in the middle of the toughest times ever, um, how do we respond? I responded 100% the wrong way. And here's what I did. I tied God's hands from being able to help me. I opened up the door to the enemy to tempt me and torment me with thoughts and so on and so forth. And I didn't allow myself to grow spiritually. God wanted me to grow during that time and I canceled it all out. So we'll have fun. I'm going to show you a spiritual exercise that will help us grow in this particular area of our life. And if you're visiting today or you haven't been here for a couple weeks, welcome to gold. We thought, let's wrap a series around the Olympics. And uh, we have these incredible athletes, some of them over half their life. They're training for a gold medal, which nothing's wrong with that. But I thought, man, they're training like that. And you and I, we're running a race that's way more important. We're going to be rewarded with eternal rewards and treasures. We should have some of the same intensity. So I thought we'll draw some parallels. And here's why the Bible over and over talks about this. 1 Corinthians 9.24, in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets first prize. So run your race to win. Every Christian has a race, something God's created you to do. Primarily, we do it through volunteering and helping in our local church. But he says, 
run it to win it. He says, that's what I want you to do. This whole text is about our race. All through the Bible, it's amazing. The Bible takes athletic events and compares it to our Christian walk with God, our life with God. And as you go down in the verses below this, he talks about us training spiritually. He talks about us having to give some things up so that we can you know, do what God's called us to do on the earth. And we've had a blast so far. And I've showed you two spiritual exercises. Today I show you the third. But what's really cool in this text is it changes over to chapter 10, but the subject doesn't change. And in chapter 10, he gives us four things or obstacles that can pull us off course and stop us from running our race. We dealt with two. Today we're going to deal with the last two because they're connected. And here, here's the verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 9 and 10. And let's not test the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And let's not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by destroying angels. So they're our example. This is the children of Israel after they were delivered out of Egypt, wandering in the wilderness. And thankfully, you and I are under what's called the new covenant. So aren't you glad that if you should tempt the Lord, and I'll explain to you what that is, or if you should grumble, aren't you glad uh, poisonous snakes aren't going to show up in your house tonight or some destroying angels not going to come in? We're in a totally different covenant. This is for our, an example for us to learn something. But you know what? Snakes and destroying angels are a type of our enemy, and we really do open the door up to our enemy and give him some place in our life when we complain. That's, that's what grumbling means. And when we test the Lord, and of course we tie God's hands. And you know what else happens when we get into this attitude? We become embittered, and we just stop our race. We just get upset with life and upset with God, and we stop doing what God's actually created us to do. So there's an exercise that's going to help us. Now, you guys have heard me say this at different times. Today I'll share a story with you in a little bit that I've never shared uh, about my life, but I've said this to you many times. I was born genetically inclined to complain. I see every glass half empty. That's the first thing I see. I have to make an effort to see it half full. And, and I've learned to do it, but my bent, my default is being negative. And there is no one in this room that's any more negative than I am by birth. Some of you might tie for first place with me. Be very few of you. But all of us, can we agree, all of us have a problem with complaining at times. I'm just wanting you to know that if I can overcome this thing, anyone in the world can overcome this thing. So that being said, here's what I want you to walk out remembering more clearly than you, you have ever remembered it, uh, ever understood it. And it goes like this. When you can't see God, God sees you. And you might wonder, what does that mean? Here's what it means. When you can't see God means this. It means that God's nowhere to be seen while you're going through your tough time. So here you are going through your tough time. Students, you're going back to school. And I'm, I don't want to speak this over your life, but I can guarantee you, you're probably going to have some tough times with a teacher you don't like or uh, in some kind of class or sports or extracurricular thing you're doing. You, you're going to probably have some tough times. And you're going to wonder, God, why aren't you helping me? And here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want all of us to know on the job, wherever we're at, with our kids, with our parents, whoever they are, um, to, to give us some trouble, right? I want you to know that when you can't see God working, God sees you and God is working. And I want to help you to understand that more clearly than you've ever 
understood it. And it will change our lives forever. Here's a cool scripture. I love this scripture. It goes like this, Isaiah 41.2. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. So God says, I'm always with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. And can all of us agree that there has been failures in our life? Some of us have lost loved ones. Uh, some of us have had relationship breakups, whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, or it's divorce. So bad things happen, but here's what God's trying to say to you. No matter what happens in your life, I'm always there, and I'm going to walk you through it. And I want to help you see, when you can't see God, God sees you. And I want to show you what you can do, the spiritual exercise that will release God to move at the highest level he can possibly move in your life. So Israel's our example. So Israel, just want to, want to read a scripture to you, talk about an event where they complained and they tested the Lord. They did them both. And so it's a great example. God delivers them out of Egypt. It's miraculous, the 10 plagues, and Pharaoh finally says, let them go. And then Pharaoh changes his mind, and he's chasing them down. He's going to kill them. And God brings this big fire, uh, this pillar of fire that stops him. And then God opens the Red Sea. They walk across, and then he lets the pillar go, and then they come trying to chase him down, and all the water falls on them. And then God's feeding them with manna supernaturally every day. They just watch God do these incredible things but then they ran out of water. So all, God did all these incredible things. Then the water dried up. And how did they handle it? They complained and tested the Lord. They went to Moses and said, Moses, what's going on here? Did you bring us out of Egypt to bring us here to die of thirst? What's wrong with you? And then they're, they're complaining to each other about Moses. That Moses says he's called of God. Yeah, right, he can't even get us water. And they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then... And then they tested the Lord. And that's, that's the one we don't want to do. I did it, though, uh, when I shared with you in my opening story. They began to say, God, where are you? God, why didn't you show up? God, why did you fail me? And so here's God. God is so cool. God says to Moses, hey, you see that big rock? Go strike it with your rod. And when Moses struck it with his rod, guess what happened? Water came gushing, just came gushing gushing out of it, and God supplied water. Some theologians believe that that water lasted them for months and months. It just kept gushing out, and it, it gave all of them all the water and quenched their thirst. But here's how it ends. Here's what Moses says at the end. Isaiah 43, 2. When you go through deep, or excuse me, I'm sorry, Exodus 17, 7. It, it says this. He called the name of the place Maza and Meribah, because of the contending, which means complaining, of the children of Israel. Because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And that's the lesson God wants us to learn today. When everything dries up, nothing seems to be going right. God wants you and I to do the opposite of this. Not to complain, not to say, God, where are you? God, why didn't you show up? This is something they had to learn. Do you know that this very thing hurt Moses? There was another time later when they ran out of water again, and God said to Moses, speak to the rock. He did, the first time he said, hit it. The second time he said, speak to it. But Moses became so upset with the children of Israel, he began to complain about them and say, God, why did you give me this burden? These people stink, and he's complaining, complaining. And so then he hits the rock out of anger. And God let water come out, but God said, because 
of your complaining, you're not going to get to enter into the promised land. It ties God's hands. It opens the door to our enemy. So it's something we want to learn not to do. And I'll show you the exercise that will absolutely set you free. So in each lesson we talk in the Olympics, I'm giving you an example of an Olympic athlete. And today I want to give you the example of Carrie Strug. Um, you see her coach holding her here. Incredible story, incredible. And when I was putting this together, it's the first thing that came to my mind because I remember watching it live and I said, I, I need to talk about Carrie. Um, Carrie was a girls, a, a, a gym, gymnast and, and, and uh, she was part of our team in the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. They were going for the overall gold uh, team competition and she sprained her ankle, but nobody knew it. She had this third degree sprain with, with also uh, problems with her tendons uh, being damaged. And she told her coach, I'm done. And he said, okay, he said, we're gonna win this thing. But the other girls on the team, they, they performed so poorly in the other exercises that her coach came to her and he said, you're gonna, you're gonna have to do the vault. Can you imagine landing on her foot? And she walked out there and, and nobody knew she was injured. And they thought after she did the vault, she became injured. But it was the most incredible thing. And I thought, wow, if Carrie could do that for a gold, can we do that as we walk in our Christian life? She didn't complain. She just did what she had to do. So check this out, and I'll, I'll be back in just a moment. Yeah, you can do it. Don't worry about it. Really was just focused on the technique of the vault, the twisting to be tight. Just when I landed, the rest of that's a blur. Carrie Strug is hurt. She is hurt badly. The crowd exploded, of course, in an unbelievable uh, recognition of joy and excitement and, and appreciation of the, of, the, of the performance. A 9-7-1-2, she has done it. Carrie Strug has won the gold medal for the United States team. I went over there and I picked her up. She's coming up to the floor and going to stay right where she belongs to at that time along with her teammates. It was an incredible moment. Incredible coach there came over from the Soviet Union, really helped our girls' teams. Guys, again, she went up there, she did it. Her coach said, I need you to do it. Never complained. And I think about the things I complain about, like two people being ahead of me in the ATM and then... Uh, <laughs> then don't you hate when somebody, you're watching them and they're taking so long, you're thinking, I could do that three times as fast as them. Or they park too far away and then they're stretching and they can't reach and you're like, oh goodness. And I get upset over things like that. And I think, wow, look what she did. And it's so easy for us to complain, right? We live in this great country. But let me tell you a story. Um, this happened about the 10th year of our marriage. Gina and I are married about 10 years, so that would be 23 years ago. And Gina came up to me, and I thought we had this incredible marriage, and we did, but she came up to me and she said, honey, she said, I, I need to talk to you, and, and you, you, need to, you better sit down. And then she said, you're not gonna like what I'm about to say. And so my heart's like this, thinking, she, I, I don't know what she's gonna say, but I, that doesn't sound good, you're not gonna like it, you know? And I'm thinking, oh no, <laughs> you know? And so, she began, and she's smart. She, she did all the right things. She said, you know, honey, you're a great husband. You really love me, and I appreciate it. You're a great father. You treat your kids like gold. They love you. You're a great pastor. You're always positive from the pulpit. She said, but when we're alone, you are the most negative person I've ever met on planet Earth. She said this. She said, I can't take it anymore. 
I guess that was the part I wasn't going to like. So, so here's my first response, and I do not make this up. She, she, she is here. She will tell you. This is what I said. I said, honey, well, I just think you're emotionally weak. And, uh, ooh, big mistake, right? It took an hour to fix that one and, and, uh, before we could even get back to what we were talking about. And, and, uh, I, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm sitting way too long. I'm like, oh, man, ADD. And I was like, ooh. Okay, so, so I did that just because I was ticked, you know, and I didn't mean it. And I actually knew she was right. And yet it was such a default in my life. It just, it's just what I do. And, and so uh, I said, honey, listen, this is going to take me a while. Would you help me? And she said, gladly. I said, so in the future when I do this, can you just point it out right away so I know it? Because I don't even realize I'm doing it. She said, I'll help you with that. And I had to dig into the Bible and figure out how can I, how can I overcome this? Because it is what I do in default. If I don't make an effort, it's where I go. And so there may be, again, some of you here that are just like that. So I, I discovered this giving thanks always uh, and, and just learning how to give thanks always. And this is the exercise. And I learned how it can supersede my negative side. And it sounds so simple, but it was for me so difficult. And there's three things that I saw that helped me be a person that lets good things come out of my mouth and, instead of negative things. And the first two are what I call perspective issues. It's just seeing things from the right perspective. So here's the first one. And it goes along with what I want you to walk out with today, understanding God is always working in our behalf. When you can't see God, God sees you. But when I saw this, it just it brought me to a place of peace because I realized that no matter what's coming against me or who's coming against me, God's working in my behalf. No matter what's going wrong, God's working in my behalf. Listen to Romans 8:28. It says, "And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Those that love him and are called according to his purpose." It's a expanded way of saying the Christian, okay? So if you're a Christian, here's what's happening. Listen. In all things, think of the worst things that have happened in your life. Think of what's happening right now. In all things, God works for the good. What this means is, behind the scenes, not only is God working, but he can take the worst situation and circumstance and he can bring resurrection to it. You, hey, you may, you may lose that relationship. That, that may happen. Um, the financial thing may happen, right? But thank God he's a God that can always restore us and he can take the most sour situation like lemons, and he can turn it in literally to lemonade and sweeten it up, and he can bring great things out of anything. So once I, once I understood that, I thought, well, no matter what anybody throws at me, a righteous man can fall seven times, but he will get up every single time. So it took the fear out of it, because I think some of complaining is just being fearful. You're fearful that something bad could happen. And then the next thing really, really helped me because I didn't understand it. And it goes like this. Problems are an opportunity for growth. And boy, when I was going to school, uh, I gave God no opportunity to grow me spiritually. But it's an opportunity for spiritual growth. And listen to James 1-2. Dear brothers and sisters or Christians, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. So the word consider is an accounting term in the Greek, and it just means calculate it, see it that way. 
And, and this is amazing to me. Here you are in the middle of a terrible time, and God says, calculate in your mind that this is a time for great joy. Now, how in the world can you do it? You're not thanking God for your problem. How do you do it? Well, the next two verses. It says in verse 3, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I'll explain that to you. Verse 4, So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. A lot of powerful things in there. Let's talk about your endurance. Endurance, the way it's being used here, it's just referring to this. It's referring to you running your race or living your Christian life, but while you're running it and you're going through this tough, tough time, you're not complaining, you're not testing God, you're just giving thanks. And God says, when you can build yourself up to that level, he's going to do something inside of you. And here's what he does inside of you. You'll come out of that perfect and complete, needing nothing. It means you're going to grow spiritually. You know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that teach us God's going to meet our needs when we go through trouble. But this is not a need scripture. You know what the scripture is? God's going to grow you internally. And I think about the mountaintops. How many of us love the mountaintops of life? Aren't they awesome? Don't you wish they lasted all the time? But then there's the valleys. I don't like valleys, but they happen. If you live on earth, they happen. It's an imperfect world with imperfect people. But if God came to me today and said, Joe, I can take you back in history and I can erase every valley, every terrible time you've had, and you can just live on the mountaintops, I would say to God, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not looking forward to any more valleys, God, and I would, would love them to be a little more shallow in the future, not as deep. But Lord, no, I learned so much during that time, and you grew me spiritually because resistance grows muscles, and I had to use spiritual muscles, and it grew me. God didn't bring it into my life. The enemy brings it. The cursed earth brings it. Uh, non-Christian people who, you know, and even Christian, can't Christians bring it on to us? Yeah, all of us can. So uh, people come at us and things come at us. It's not God, but God chose to allow you and I to live in a world that's not perfect because we all need some weights to lift. You can't grow a muscle without, in, without resistance. And so if you can see life as, hey, that's resistance, this is an opportunity for me to trust God. And I think of how I've learned to trust God by the tough times and how he's grown some muscles. You know what else he's done? He's knocked some rough edges off of me, and I'm so thankful for the rough edges that are no longer there. And that's what you and I want to walk out understanding. God is always working in our behalf. Problems are an opportunity for growth. And then the third one is just operations. Here, here it is. Give thanks for what we have and what God's done. And, and I threw two of them in there for a reason. You know, whenever you and I are going through a tough time, if we really looked at our lives, there would be tons of good things we could actually thank God for. We're not going to thank him for the problem. There's tons of good things that God is doing. And I don't know about you, I tend to focus on the problem, and I had to learn to give thanks for what I do have. And that's what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says. Look at this. Be thankful in all circumstances, not for them, but in them. Uh, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Or if you're a Christian, the will of God is to learn to give thanks no matter what you're going through. And so you can always find something that's really good in your life. Now, there might be a couple of you, you're in here, you say, Pastor Joe, you do not know my life. I do not have one good thing I could thank God for. I don't believe that's true, but you may believe it's true. Well, here's the second thing. 
we can do. We can thank God for what he's done for us. And that's what this verse is talking about, Philippians 4.4. 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. That means it's really important. Rejoice. You know what rejoicing is? It's thanking God with a smile. It's just, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Don't do it like that. People will think you're weird. But it's just thanking God. Thanking God with a smile. And, and, and here's what I want you to get. He says always, but he also says this, in the Lord. And in the Lord is referring to what you have because you're in Christ or because you're a Christian, because you accepted Christ. And man, that list never ends, right? I mean, that list goes on and on and on. How many of you are glad that he saved you and you're going to go to heaven? Isn't that amazing? Just that in itself. He's made you holy and righteous and worthy of God, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. He's given you the gift of eternal life. Hey, how about this? He's placed God the Holy Spirit inside of us, and God lives in us. He's made us holy enough for God to live in us. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Man, we can always find something to thank God for. So here's what I had to do. I had to learn to thank God instead of going negative, just begin to thank God for the good things I have. And it's amazing what it does because it unties God's hands because negativity just ties God's hands. He can't do what he wants to do for you. And then secondly, it allows me to grow through the toughest times because I choose. I'm not going to walk through here complaining, getting mad. I'm just going to give thanks because God is working in my behalf and God's going to come through for me. And I'm going to get to the other side of this booger and I'm going to be okay. And so I just learned to give thanks. And there's this picture in the Bible. I'm going to talk to you and, and kind of close. I will close with this story. And I really believe these stories were put together. Uh, when this all happened, I, I believe God said, I'm going to let this happen, make sure it's recorded in the Bible so Joe can use it on Sunday morning. And I, I really do this weekend. And it, there, there are just, it's the most beautiful picture ever. So here it is. Israel was divided into two kingdoms at this time. So you had Israel, and then it was also divided into Judah. So you had two Israels, one called Israel, one called Judah. Judah had a king, his name was Jehoshaphat. He was an incredible and godly king. But he had a problem come into his life. You know what the problem was? Three nations decided to attack him at the same time. So he had these three nations come at him at the same time. So he did what all of us should do. He went to God and say, said, hey, these guys are stronger than us. These guys are bigger than us. Lord, this is a problem I can't get out of with my own strength. What should I do? And God gave him these incredible instructions that have thanking and being thankful in them. And then God did these incredible things. So I think the picture's in, uh, amazing. Here it is, 2 Chronicles 20, 21 says this. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him. The word praise there is tehillah. It's Hebrew, the Hebrew word. You know what it means? To rave and brag about God. That's Thanksgiving, raving, bragging, thanking God. You're awesome. You're holy. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. And, and then it goes on and says this, uh, for, for splendor of his holiness. And as they went out at the head of the army saying, listen to what they did. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So they're singing thanks and they're saying thanks. And that's what God instructed them to do. Think about it. God said, have the soldiers put their swords in their sheaths. He said, have the priest and the worship team walk in front of the soldiers. And he said, I just want you to sing and give thanks to me. That's amazing. Now, talk about trust. Jehoshaphat had to trust God. I mean, he could have been slaughtered, but God wanted you and I to see that when life is really tough, when everything's coming against us, 
It's time for us not to complain or test God. God, where are you? It's time to just begin to thank God for what we have and what God's done. Look at what God did. Here's verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, uh, the Lord set ambushments against the men of Ammon and Moab. Those are two of the nations. And, and then Mount Zir, the third one, who were invading Judah, and they defeated them. Verse 23. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Zir to destroy and annihilate them. God so confused them, they thought these guys were Israel. It goes on, it says, after they finished slaughtering the men of Zir, they helped to destroy one another. Israel never fought in this battle. Verse 24, when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one escaped. What a picture. So what's God saying to us? He's saying, hey, don't tie my hands. Let me loose. There's some things I can do. I can set some ambushments. I can work in your behalf. He's saying, let me loose. Well, how do we do it? by just learning to give thanks always for what we have, for what God's done. And that helps me to know when I'm doing that, I'm releasing God to be God and do some incredible things in my life. They're not going to be like this because we're not fighting an army, but it releases God to do some necessary things. Thanks, Pastor Joe, for that message. 